Before I start this evening, I'd like to start with a word of prayer. So if you would, please pray with me as we ask that God would speak to each and every one of us in the way that he knows is best, and that we would get exactly what he would have us get out of this message. Because even though I worked on this message, I know he's got something in store for me too. So if you would, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the precious name of Jesus, and Lord, we're thankful and we're grateful for being able to be here in your house tonight. And Lord, just like every time that I've ever spoken, Lord, I need your help, I need your power, I need your wisdom, I need your guidance, and I need your strength. And so, Lord, I ask that you might be with me as I preach this evening, give me the right words to say. And Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of your people here tonight. I pray that you would clear their minds. And Lord, I pray that they would get exactly what you would have them get out of this message here this evening. Lord, I pray that if there's something going on in their life, Lord, that's eating away at them and that's causing them great pain, Lord, I pray that you might ease that, you might help them with that, that you would put your hand upon them and give them strength. Lord, please be with us tonight as we dig into your word. I pray that you would speak to us in a great and mighty way and we'll thank you for it all. It's in your name I do pray, amen. We find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 11, entitled tonight's message is, A Word Fitly Spoken, A Word Fitly Spoken. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Took me quite a time to find out the meaning behind like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And over time, what I found was that the psalmist, the, not psalmist, excuse me, Solomon saw something in this world and he saw something much deeper. He saw that he could derive a truth from what he saw. And what these apples of gold and these pictures of silver is, it is quite literally a golden apple, the goldenest apple you can find sitting inside of a basket made of silver. And just as that silver brings forth the beauty of that golden apple, so the psalmist says that a word fitly spoken brings forth a refinement in those that hear it, and it brings forth a positive change. When you see those golden apples in that picture of silver, in that basket of silver, you do not look at all the things that are wrong with that golden apple. Because all you can see is that refining effect of the silver and the gold. You don't see the broken stem. You don't see the tarnished skin of that apple. You're not looking at any of those things on the apple itself. All you see is that that apple looks that much more delicious. That apple looks that much more beautiful sitting in that basket of silver. And what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, listen, at the right time, a word fitly spoken, which is exactly what a word fitly spoken means, a word spoken at the right time has the same effect on the hearers of that word or on those words itself. And so tonight what I want to do is I want us to get a hold of the fact that we can look into Scripture and we can see, okay, this is a word fitly spoken, so this must be something that I ought to mimic. I must be able to speak words that have a positive effect on those that hear them. 
So then that means that I ought to watch my words so that I'm not just speaking words that are fitly spoken, but I'm also keeping guard for divisive words that will negatively affect those around me. But the thing is this, it doesn't just affect those around us, it affects us. And so if we can get a hold of what it means to speak words that are fitly spoken, and we can get a hold of what it means for someone to speak in a divisive way, then we can make a distinguation between the two and find ourselves thinking twice about when we speak so we can speak those things that are pleasing and honorable to God, those things that edify Christians, and those things that help God's kingdom on this earth move forward. And so if you go to um, Joshua chapter 24... And the first point tonight is fitly spoken words. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two particular examples in God's word where there were two people in particular who spoke words that were fit for the moment that were meant to bring about a positive change that were meant to refine the hearers. Go to Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. You find Joshua speaking to the children of Israel. And in this instance, he's speaking to them before they go into the promised land. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to think before they go into the promised land. He wants to get something straight with them before they go to the place that God had promised to them. And if you look at verses 14 and 15, you see a multiple multitude of fitly spoken words at the right time for the right reason with the intention of bringing about a positive change. If you look at the very beginning of Joshua chapter 25 and verse 14, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. We just got out of the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what Joshua is doing right here, right now, is he's saying, listen, therefore, fear the Lord. The reason he's saying to them to fear the Lord is so that they will think twice about every decision that they make. To remind them that they serve a God who's not just a loving father, but he's also a righteous judge that cannot allow his children to continue to go down into sin without bringing a form of correction along their path to correct them. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to think twice before they make a decision so that they do not find themselves having to suffer the consequence of those wrong decisions. And so the first fitly spoken word he utters is to fear the Lord. The next thing that he says is, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. What he's trying to point out to them is that you cannot serve God half-heartedly. We know this to be true. God cannot stand a lukewarm Christian. He'd rather you be hot or cold. And that's exactly what Joshua is saying to the children of Israel. He said, listen, if you are going to serve the Lord, you serve him full-heartedly. If you're going to serve him, you do it the right way. There is no halfway in, halfway out. There's all in or all out. And he is speaking yet another fitly spoken word at the right time, trying to get them to realize that they need God if they're truly going to take that promised land, that they're going to need God if they're truly going to become the people that God had intended for them to be. Then if you look further in this portion of Scripture, it says, And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. What Joshua is doing is he's saying, listen, I know that many of you 
are not just serving God alone. I know that many of you are serving God and you're serving yourself. I know that many of you are serving God and you're serving other gods. I know that even some of you aren't serving God at all. You're serving these other gods. And Joshua is pointing out to them an error in their way. And what he's saying, he's saying, listen, this is something that you need to get rid of. This is something that you need to change. This is something you need to fix. Because if you intend to be the people of God that he's intending for you to be, you got to get this right. God's people should not have anything in our lives, myself included, that is either taking the place of God, that takes priority over God, or that causes us to spend the time that we ought to spend with God, but spend that time with the other thing that should not be spent time in, whether it be ourselves or be something in the world that we have given more attention to than our Savior. And that's exactly what Joshua is doing. He's speaking all of these fitly spoken words because what he's trying to get across to these Israelites is that there is something far greater than the Christian life if you follow exactly what the Savior has told us to do. If you serve him, if you follow him, if you stay away from sin, there's something so much more to that. And then if you go to verse 15, he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Were the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites, in whose land that ye dwell? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says something astounding. In this portion of scripture, he tells them, he says, today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not a month, not a year, not right before you leave this earth. He says, today, choose you this day whom you will serve. There may be someone here tonight that has not come to know Christ as their Savior And what I will say to you tonight is the same thing that Joshua said to the children of Israel. To choose you this day that you will give up that sin-filled life and that you will ask the Savior to come into your heart and to save you and to forgive you of those sins, to cleanse you of those sins and to make you like Him. And if you're a Christian that has things in their life that ought not to be there, choose you this day to say that I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to allow anything to take precedence in my life over God. I'm going to make sure that God is number one, that I have set my priorities straight, and that any time the devil tries to deter me on any other thing, I'm going to get right back on track, and I'm going to keep my focus on the Savior. Because this life is too short for me to be distracted by the world or by the devil. I ought to be doing the work that God has given me to do. And so when you look through this portion of Scripture, you see fitly spoken word after fitly spoken word. You see Joshua trying to get a hold of the children of Israel, trying to get them to become steadfast Christians that follow the Lord, that are dedicated to him, that are determined to do what's right. These fitly spoken words are meant to bring about a positive change. They're meant to refine them, to make them more like Christ. So not only do we see Joshua and his fitly spoken words, but we also see someone else. We see Mary. We see Mary in John chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. So if you go to John chapter 12 and look at verses 1 through 3, you'll find that Mary herself speaks fitly spoken words, but it's not through her mouth. It's through her actions. 
You've heard it said before that actions speak louder than words. And that's exactly what we read here in this portion of Scripture. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a, pr- a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. First we saw Joshua speaking to Israel these fitly spoken words. Then we see Mary speaking to those around her. What Mary is saying with what she does right there is that this is the Christ. This is the Son of God. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of glory. He is worthy of so much more than I can give. But what I can give is this spikenard, this ointment that is worth an entire year's worth of savings. I can give him this as some form of a payment in some form of a gift to my Savior, the one who came and lived a life without sin, the one who came and died so that I might have life. This is all I have to give. But what I do in giving this, what I do in wiping his feet with my hair, is I am giving him the glory, the honor that he is due. And what we see today and what they saw there and then was that she was saying that this is Christ. This is he who was spoken of to come, to live a sinless life, to die for our sin, to rise again, and to be waiting for us to come to see him. This is him who the Old Testament spoke of time and time again. This is him who fulfilled every prophecy that was ever uttered for his coming and for his life. This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. This was a fitly spoken word through her actions. And so let me ask you this tonight. When people see you, in the first part with Joshua, with him speaking those fitly spoken words, when you speak, do the words that you speak honor God? Do the words that you speak seek to uplift and build up fellow believers? Do the words that you speak have a positive change about them? And with Mary, your actions... Like we said before, your actions speak louder than words. So if if Mary's actions here in this point in time, in this portion of Scripture, not only spoke to those that are there, but speak to us and have spoke to everyone that's ever heard or read this, and will continue to do so until Christ comes, then also we ought to think about how our actions speak about who we are, not just today, but will continue to speak about us until the day we leave this earth. So we ought to make sure as Christians, myself included, that we think about what we say, but also about what we do, because what we do speaks volumes about who we are. So not only do we see fitly spoken words from God's word, but we also see divisive words. For every positive, there's a negative. And if you look in uh, Proverbs, you see that Solomon does this often. He gives you a positive and he gives you a negative. He gives you something to look out for and something to look for. He gives you the way of the world and he gives you the way 
of God. He shows you what you ought not to do and what you ought to do. And so let's go right back to Proverbs and let's see him say once again those two things, making a defined difference between what is right and what is wrong, what we ought to do and what we, not, we, what we ought not to do. So that's my second point tonight, is divisive words. So if you go to Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, and find yourselves verses 16 and 19, you find God himself speaking about those things that he cannot stand. Those things that irk him to his core. And in these words that we're going to read, we'll find what we as Christians ought to look out for, but also those distinguishing marks of those in the world that speak divisive words, that act in such a way that hurts and hinders all those around them. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6 and you look at verses 16 and 19, I looked at 16, not 6. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19. Verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. The first thing I want to point out is the fact that he's talking about the words that your words can be divisive. Look at verse 17 again. It says, a lying tongue. And then find your way over to verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. The word of God is not just giving us an understanding of what God cannot stand above all else, but he's given us an example of things we ought to look for. He's giving us an example of the fact that this world constantly lies. That they seek to intermingle a lie with the truth and try to make you see as if it were a truth, but in reality it's a lie. And so when you look at this portion of Scripture, you need to see that this world has every intention of using divisive words to cut you down, to break you up, to destroy you in the end, all you have to do is look to history itself and find men and even women who were leaders that used divisive words to cut down, to break down, destroy, and to harm those around them. And so if that's the case, if God's giving us an example of things that we ought to look out for, then we ought to remember that that's something that even we could become. We could become those who lie. And it always starts with just one. It always starts with the saying, oh, it's just a little white lie. Oh, it's just a, it's a lie, and, but, I, but I put some truth in there, so it's a truth. No, it's not. The very beginning, the king of all lies, the great deceiver, intermingled a lie with the truth. And in the end, it was still a lie. And so we need to always be on guard with what comes out of our mouth because it just takes one time to get in the habit of just lying, lying some more, lying some more, lying some more. And we always look at the exception. Pastor has said this many times when it's come to uh, drinking or smoking or things of that nature. We look at the exception as opposed to the rule. 
we look at the 10 or the 1% that have been able to drink a little bit and it's okay and they never let it go too far. But we fail to look at the 90 to 99% that have been corrupted by it. And so if we see that God places such an emphasis on his disdain for a lying tongue, then that ought to flip a switch in our mind and say, listen, i got to watch out for this. Because I don't want to be known as someone who's a liar. I don't want the devil to use my words in a divisive way that cuts and breaks down and hurts and harms and may ultimately destroy someone. Because if there's one thing that you can take away from tonight, it's this. Words will stick with people for their entire life. And they can either be the making or the breaking of most people. There have been things that you heard when you were younger that you remember even today, and it's affected the decisions that you make. There are words that pop in my mind all the time from my grandfather, from wicked influences, from other people that I know over and over again. Those words pop in my mind, and they have affected the things I've said, the things I've done. So remember that words are important. But not only does he point out that words are important and that you can have divisive words, but he also points out that you can have divisive attitudes. Your attitude can also speak just as much as the words that come out of your mouth. So look at verse 17 again. It says, a proud look. Look at verse 18. And a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. What the Lord's pointing out here? Pride and wickedness. He's pointing out the fact that he cannot stand pride and wickedness. He cannot stand the attitude that coincides with that, and he cannot stand the attitude because of what it becomes. Your attitude turns into your actions, and if you are a pride-filled person, that plays into your actions. If you think of wicked things, eventually those wicked things will come out. You've heard it before, what you put in is eventually going to come out. And so what God is pointing out here in his word is that at some point, if you do not keep guard, you can find yourself a prideful person. If you do not keep guard, you can find yourself to be a wicked person. And just like with a lie, it only takes one time. With you boasting too much about a promotion, with you boasting too much about an accomplishment, with you boasting about something, you can eventually find yourself being prideful and thinking that, oh, I did this, rather than God giving me the strength to do it. Same thing for wicked imaginations. It takes you giving in one time to something that you know you ought not to do, to cultivate something in you that should not be there in the first place, to eventually become something that you did not want it to become and for it to eventually come out and it to destroy your reputation, to hurt you in the end, and to hurt all those around you. God places an emphasis on so many things in his word because he wants you to understand that there is an importance to what he says. And tonight, he's trying to get us to understand that there's an importance to our words to our attitudes, and finally, to our actions. Because our actions speak volumes about us. Look at verse 17 again. At the very end, it says, and hands that shed innocent blood. The second part of verse 18, feet that be swift in running to mischief. 
Verse 19. I mean, yeah, verse 18 is the end of that. Okay? So hands that shed innocent blood in verse 18. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Once again, these are people that we ought to look out for. These are people that are divisive. These are people that have no intention other than benefiting themselves, and it does not matter how many people around them that they hurt. And so if that's the case, if that's something that we could become, then we ought to pay attention to our own actions, that we don't end up acting like the people of the world, because the people of the world are watching us day in and day out. They're watching us like a hawk. And everything that you do speaks of who you are. And so if that's the case, then when, any, when the world ever looks at you with, within anyone that you work with, with anyone that you see in the store, with anyone who knows you, sees you, your actions ought to speak of the Savior. Your actions ought to speak of you not wanting to participate or have anything to do with what this world has to offer. It ought to speak of someone who's different, speak of someone who's changed, speak of someone who's seeking to help them come to know what changed you so that they can come to you and say, what is it that's so different about you? Why are you able to come into work even on the worst day and still have a smile on your face. Or even if that's not the case, even if you come into work and you still give it your all, how on earth are you able to do it? What you can say right in that moment is the Savior who lives in me and gives me the strength that I need to go when I can't go on my own. And so there is yet another opportunity for you to share the gospel. And all you have to do is keep track of your actions. And you can have an open opportunity right then and there to give someone the gospel. So we've seen a fitly spoken word. We've seen the effects of fitly spoken words. And we've also seen divisive words. So with that being said, we're going to go right to the takeaway for tonight. The takeaway is it's time to speak and be heard. So if we know what divisive words are and we know what fitly spoken words are, then we need to do something with it. Because we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word. We're supposed to be what? doers. We ought to be doing what God has given us to do. So with that being the case, go with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, if you look at verses 16 through 18, you find Paul speaking to the church. And what he's doing is he's speaking to the church in such a way that he's getting their attention and he's directing it to something in particular. So let's see what he's directing them to. Verse 16, it says, Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. What Paul is saying here is that you need to mark them, you need to avoid them, and you need to know them. You need to mark those that speak against the Word of God. You need to avoid having a relationship with them. And you need to know 
what they're saying so you know if you have the opportunity to, to tell them what they're missing. And so the first thing that we need to take away from tonight in this two-part takeaway is that we need to speak against those that speak contrary to the Scriptures. Now listen, I'm not saying that you need to go up to, say, go up to anyone that you know that's not speaking what God's Word says and say, listen here, you, you good for nothing. Listen here, I can't believe you'd say such a thing. No, because that's not Christ-like, is it? Do you think Christ would have went up to someone and said, listen, I can't believe you said that. No. We have to go to people in the right way. But we still have to speak against it. Because if we don't speak against it, what are we letting it do? We're letting it go and grow and affect more people and take more people in the wrong direction. And as being children of God, it's our responsibility to whenever we hear someone that's been taught by someone that's been teaching them a fallacy to say, listen, would you just give me a little time to tell you why that's wrong? Would you just let me, just for a period of time, tell you why what they're saying is not true? Would you open the word of God? Would you go to this portion of scripture with me? Would you let me show you that this is the truth and that what they're saying is a lie? Would you give me the time to tell you what is true? We need to speak against those that intermingle the truth with a lie, that add to and take away from Scripture. And if the opportunity ever comes up, just like I said earlier, we don't need to just speak against them and avoid them, but we also need to know them. We need to know what they're saying. We need to know where that disconnect is. If they're not reading the scripture fully, if they're not getting context and they're not really understanding what the scripture is saying, we need to know where that disconnect is. So if God ever gives us the opportunity, which we should ask for it, to find that person that's speaking that fallacy and say, listen, can I show you where you're wrong? Because what are you doing for that person? You're saving them from the devil using them to take more people away from the truth. You're doing what you ought to do as a child of God. And so if you have the opportunity to, and you know someone that's speaking a fallacy, and you know that what they're saying is against God's word, study up on it. Know it. And then when the opportunity arises, speak to the people that have been deceived by it. And if God so gives you the opportunity to, seize it and tell that person who's speaking the fallacy what they're saying is wrong that you want to share with them what's right. Speaking the word in sincerity with a determination to get a hold of them, but speaking the truth that is just like a two-edged sword and that will cut us under the lies that they've been speaking and the lies that they've been thinking. So not only do we need to speak against those that speak contrary to Scripture, but we also need to speak against those that speak vulgar and profane things. This is one that is not typical for Christians. And I say that because I was the same way. And I'm going to give you an example. When I was at college, I worked at FedEx Ground. And there was about 15, 20 Crown students that worked there with me. When we first started working there, the four hours that we worked, 
was marked by cussing, inappropriate language, inappropriate words, obscene and ridiculous things. But over the course of two semesters, by the end of it, by us influencing those people, by sharing the gospel with them, and by asking them, which I did on many occasions when I was in a trailer working with them, when they would be cussing, I'd say, could you stop? And especially if they were taking my God's name in vain. Because that shouldn't fly with us. Not one bit. If someone takes God's name in vain, we ought to say, listen, you're taking my God's name in vain. Please don't do that. But you know what's interesting? Is that most of these people have never had anyone say anything like that to them. So they just say stuff because no one's ever said anything to the contrary. But if you just utter a small word such as that, it flips a switch and it changes. And by the end of those two semesters, because us 15 crown students had a desire to make a change and make a difference there, when you walked in, if someone knew or even someone who had been cussing like a sailor before would say a cuss word, guess what everyone would do? They'd look at them. And boy, would it make them red like a tomato, okay? I mean, they would be, they would be really, in a sense, um, that's the word I'm looking for, excuse me, embarrassed. They would be embarrassed, right? Listen, the point was not to embarrass them. The point was to get them to understand that that's not appropriate and that's unnecessary. And then also the point further beyond that was to get them to come to an understanding that they needed a savior, that they were a sinner in need of saving. And boy, God blessed us with being able to do that. And so that is our job as Christians. I'm giving you an example of something that you can do at your work. Something, in a sense, I wish I could still do. I don't work in the secular work field anymore. I don't get that opportunity like I used to. And in all honesty, I miss it. I really do. I miss the opportunity to work with someone for four or eight hours a day. And on occasion, whenever God would open the door, talk to them a little bit about the Savior. I miss telling them that that's not something that they should say. I do. I miss it because in the end, what I'm working for is I'm working for them to be a better person. I'm speaking fitly spoken words in an effort to help them change and become someone different. And ultimately, completely become someone different because of the work that Christ could do in them if they come to know him. And so you who work in the secular field, you have such a vast open door to begin to just do little things here and there. Just say those fitly spoken words here and there. To have that right attitude and those right actions that eventually open that door wide open for you to go right in. There's been times in history where we as Christians take hold of that and we work it and we work it and we work it until we've brought as many as we possibly could to the Savior. And God's done many great things. And there's been other times we've slacked off. So let me ask you this. Have you slacked off? I could say I did. My mission field, in a sense, for the secular world was the gym. I used to work out all the time when I first came here. That was my mission field. When I would go, if I had the opportunity to, I would tell them about the Savior. And I have slacked off. And I'm hoping to get back into it because I miss it. I really do. I miss the opportunity to talk to some of these people and to hear some of the things that these people say about 
a gospel that they heard that is not the gospel and being able to tell them the gospel and seeing something click and being able to lead them to the Savior. That's a greater blessing than you could ever ask for, I can tell you that much for sure. So let me just say this to you one more time. We need to speak against those that speak things contrary to Scripture, but also those that speak vain and vulgar things. So if those two things are true, if we know that we need to speak against, then we know we need to speak of, which is the last part. We need to speak of. What do we need to speak of? We need to speak of the Savior. We need to speak of the truth. And we need to speak of the hope and the joy and the peace that we have as Christians. We need to speak the truth in love, in boldness, and in confidence to this lost, dark, and dying world. We need to speak the truth about what God's word has for us as Christians. And we also need to speak of the great joy, the great peace, and the great comfort, and the great strength that we have as Christians to fellow Christians who are dealing with things. We as Christians are not called to just be here and go. We are called to invest. We are called to change. We are called to work and to serve our Savior. We need to be about our Father's business, myself included. Told you today when we first started this message, the Lord was going to speak to me too, and boy, did He. There's so much that we ought to be doing. We need to get busy about it. We really want to see a change. This is the work that we're called to do. We're called to speak against and to speak of our Savior, speak against those that speak against Him, to speak of the truth when there's others that are speaking lies. And so, with that being said, I'd like you to stand with me.